setting of Jesus really in his first kind of teaching to a collective group of people, some Jewish, some Gentile, but all gathering around because this man continues to say things that not only intrigue them, but he speaks with authority. And there's something that's drawing them. Well, I pray that as we jump back in. We've had a bit of a hiatus, but wasn't May fun? Between child dedication, baptisms, uh, Mother's Day sharing, by the way, Father's Day, we have a panel of guys that are going to be sharing in a few weeks, but also impact eating and just so many good things, really concluding last week with Pastor Josh's message to the graduates and to all of us about holiness. But as we kind of focus in back on the hill, today. I want us to truly be sensitive on this day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is leading us. Because for me, this is one of those pieces that is so practical, so tangible, so relevant in our lives as Christ followers. A lot of times we look at these great big grand things that we want to do for God and we miss these daily interactions and personal relationships. So if you want to do something great for God, I invite you as we pray right now to just say in your own way, in your own words, as we pray, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Help me to listen. Let's pray. Father, as we spend time with Jesus this morning on this hill, I pray that you would use these words, God, to speak truth to us because they are truth. Father, I pray that you would help us through your Holy Spirit to understand what this looks like in our life. Not so we can twist it and, and change it to whatever we want, but that we truly know what it means to apply what we're learning, to live it out. So God, help us to do that today. Holy Spirit, we know this world is full of hurting, lonely, lost, desperate people. People that, much like us, need you to lead and guide them. So, Holy Spirit, we call upon you this day. May our ears be sensitive to hear. May our hearts be open, ready to commit anew. In Jesus' name, amen. So maybe as a parent or grandparent, it sounded something like this. Dad, they hit me. Why, why, why did you hit your brother? Well, they hit me first. Or maybe you're at work and co-worker walks into your cubicle or your office and, and, and they kind of sneak in and they shut the door to your office. They're like, did you hear? Did, did you see what she posted about our boss? All over social media. Just because he called her out about her slacking performance at work. And she did that. Or maybe it's a story on the news that sounds something like this that we've heard before. Where a a driver in a fit of road rage caused a multi-pile car pileup on a major interstate that hurt and even killed people. Because someone cut in their lane before him and they wanted to show them something. The examples are all over the place, aren't they? We have our own. And I think for us today, what I want us to really think about is that this whole idea of revenge, 
It's something that I don't know that any of us are exempt from. I hope you are learning in your life with Christ. I hope you're learning to walk with him closely when it comes to this. Because the opportunities are everywhere, aren't they? Jesus talks a bit today in this passage in Matthew 5 about what's referred to as an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We talk about it as getting even, perhaps. But look with me, Matthew 5, 38, it's on the screen. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's funny when I hear people use this phrase, but I actually do hear it quite a bit. I don't know about you. I used to think it was something maybe that just uh, more senior adults use, but it's not true. I hear it among other generations as well. Unfortunately, I think a lot of times is it's used in a way to justify our actions because we've been hurt. Jesus knew it was used that way. It was used that way in his day, but really there's some background underneath of what it really meant. It actually referred to a law that was established among Jewish people and others way back as far as the 18th century B.C., and it showed up in different places. But what was happening is that when someone was wronged, is that it wasn't just justice that was gotten. It was vengeance. In other words, the crime or the punishment didn't fit the crime. And so in public order and even in personal relationships, what was necessary is something to kind of bring things into a just and fair dealing of these circumstances. And so it began to be referred to, uh, and it was called other things, but most common phrase was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, no matter how powerful you were, you still paid the just punishment if you committed a crime. And no no matter how measly or small that you thought the crime was, you still had to pay the punishment. Seems seems right, seems fair, seems uh, to be consequences for actions. But what was happening is even though this law was established and this had been around for a long time, Jesus brought it up again. Because as Jesus knows, is that they weren't living it out the way the law was intended. Much like many of people in that day and many people today, is people wanted to take justice into their own hands. People wanted to deal with it in their way. And so even though it was supposed to be a common practice, the more common practice was, I'll show them. They're going to wish they never did that to me. So it was really more like an arm for an eye (laughs) or a leg for a tooth. That's what revenge does, you know. It's not justice. It's vengeance. It's taking a a hurt and an injury and a harm and making that person wish they'd never ever thought to hurt you. Revenge unfortunately shapes a lot of our behavior today in this culture. Not all that unlike the time when Jesus sat on that hill with those around him. I don't know if you've ever heard people or watched people, is that their actions, their responses to people are based solely on what people do to them. And so if people do this, okay, then I'm going to do this. Now, 
Not to say that there's not a little bit of that in all of us as we look at circumstances and our surroundings. But people use that as their filter. People use that to decide what their next course of action is going to be. That's called bondage. And it's bondage to something that we don't want to be enslaved to. Many of us can get caught up. I was thinking through some examples in my own life, and we don't have enough time this morning for me to share the times where my heart wasn't right and I just wanted to get even. There's a movie that was put out quite a few years back, and in this horse race season, I know several of the races have uh, already passed, but in this horse race season, some of you remember the name of the horse, Seabiscuit. Well, there was a movie put out a while back, and there's a scene from this movie I'd like you to take a look at, and I think what is so telling is picture yourself, not necessarily as a jockey on a horse, but look at the imagery of what happens when a heart's not right. Take a look at this. Hey, Sahib. Kind of small, isn't he? Gonna look a lot smaller in a second, Georgie. He got five bucks, says he doesn't. supposed to do? Let him get away with that? Well, yeah. When he's 40 to 1. He almost put me in the rail. Well, did he? Look, we had a plan. He found me, Tom. What am I supposed to do? He cut me off. He found me. Son. Son. What are you so mad at? What are you so mad at? I'd like to think that we can 
separate every human interaction with another. But we can't, can we? And so sometimes when someone has the audacity to offend us, is what it does is it raises up every person who has ever dared to offend us. Staff is working through a book I've talked about quite a bit, Humble Roots. And there's a chapter on this, this whole idea of how we get so mad when people offend us or hurt us. And the reality is most of it is because our ego has been bruised. Now, I'm not going to deny that there's not people in times when we've all been offended. Every one of us have been offended. Every one of us have been hurt. And Jesus is going to give us some examples that we're going to be able to relate to here. But the reality is, is that a heart that is bent on revenge or getting back at or settling the score is a heart that is not focused on the goal. Now, I love this image of, of, of this clip because we get consumed, don't we? We get consumed, much like the jockey did. He, as soon as he was cut off, it was no longer about accomplishing a win, his goal what he had trained for, what he had spent time and energy to do. But rather, it was to get even or to settle the score because how dare somebody cut him off. You know, it started in the gates, didn't it? It started with a little bit of verbal jabbing. Jesus talks about that. We have to be careful Oh, so careful of the subtle ways that it begins. Because often what I hear in the stories of people and in my own story is that it maybe started with that one small little thing, but before you know it, it grew into this. Revenge got a hold. Look at Matthew 5.39. It says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. As I worked on this message this week, I tell you, uh, my prayer for me, my prayer for us as the people of God is that I, I understand how challenging it is to discern all of these pieces. There's not a story out here that is alike in terms of interactions with people and how you are offended or hurt. And Jesus has the audacity to come in and say, I tell you, don't resist an evil person. What in the world does he mean by that? Do I have to be a doormat like people think every Christian is? I have to be a doormat and get walked on? I need to prove to them that God is real, and so I'm going to get back at him. <laughs> That's what we sound like sometimes, isn't it? What Jesus is getting at here, and the idea of resisting an, uh, 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 resisting an evil person, has this context of not creating opposition to that. Because the benefit often is for not. Now, I want to clarify a couple things here. This setting, this context, does not have to do with public order. There are laws, there are boundaries, there are rules in place in every society to keep public order. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. We need those. Those are necessary. It's where eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. 
But there's also these pieces of society and relationships that are very personal. That's what Jesus is talking about. So this is not about the justice system. This is about how you and I, as Christ followers, deal with others and others who hurt us and offend us. Because there are occasions. There are occasions that people must be called out. People must, there must be protest in order to see an unfair injustice. But the goal of that, and hear me on this, the goal of that is never for personal benefit or satisfaction. Laws and rules for public order are about public order, not about personal specific relationships. Yeah, they cross over some. But one commentator says it like this, to be the victim of some form of evil does not give us the right to hit back. That's a hard concept this day and age, isn't it? I mean, we are in a time where, where everybody's individual rights reign above everything. Now, I don't have the time, and, and this is not the setting to get into all of that. I know that can be a muddy mess. But what I want us to look at specifically today is I want us to look at this idea of how we personally relate to people in our relationships when certain things happen where we are hurt. Jesus illustrates this by sharing a few examples. Look with me in Matthew 39b through 41. And again, think of these as personal interactions between one person and another or just one and a couple others. Jesus says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. It's also a common phrase you've likely heard, turn the other cheek. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Let me briefly explain these three and then we'll get to the heart at what Jesus is saying. And I want us to be careful here not to get caught up in these examples. These are contextual things. I'm going to try to give a little bit of a modern day example. They're not perfect, but it gives you a little bit of the idea. The first one, Jesus talks about insult. Some would look at this and say a slap in the cheek. So that means people can be physically violent with us. No, that's not what this is about. That was an expression used And there's a history behind that, that the idea of a slap in the cheek with the back of your hand was was, uh, symbolic of an insult. They're in the gates, and he he yells over, small horse she got, or whatever he says. It's an insult. It's, It's the idea of somebody picking a fight verbally with you. You remember the bully in the playground? And it starts not with a punch to the face. It starts with some comment about the goofy shorts you're wearing or whatever it may be. But Jesus' point is that this is about insult. Anybody ever been insulted? Liars. (laughs) That's great when you come to church and the pastor calls you a liar. It's true. And every one of us have been insulted. Some of you have been insulted today verbally. And it's the person that you were in bed with, your husband or your wife, that insulted you. It happens. It's not right, but it happens. The point is, as Jesus says, insult is a very common example of that personal relationship where someone is hurt. I want to 
think about this in a modern day example. I want us to think about the idea of the competition. We live in a culture today that thrives on competition. And let me tell you, there's a lot of beautiful, wonderful things about that. Here's where I get concerned. I get concerned when I see competition thriving on insults. You've heard it. It's, it's the pregame interview. And, and, and the player is talking about can't wait to make amends for what happened the last game. Or you see the postgame interview wrap up. Oh, we got them back. Oh, we got them good. Now, I know those things aren't always intended to be exactly what Jesus is talking about here, but there's something about in our culture right now is that there seems to be this idea that if, if you can insult somebody and insult somebody well, how brave and courageous and strong you are. Hopefully, I don't have to point out the holes in that. Jesus really gets to the issue of personal suffering when he talks about being slapped on the right cheek. Then he goes into this idea of being sued. Now, there is no shortage of examples in culture today about litigation that is false, accusing. And that's the idea to think of here. This is much about not just an outright robbery. Could be the case somebody's trying to steal a shirt or a tunic. This is a part of their clothing. But the idea was very much the fact is that somebody was trying to falsely take something from you. And even willing to, make, uh, willing to take ends of legal, legal ends to make that happen. You know, uh, there are days when I go home for lunch and I like watching Gunsmoke on MeTV at 1 o'clock. And so, um, uh, every day that uh, I'm not home every day watching Gunsmoke, but when the days I'm home, it never fails the amount of commercials for, hey, if you've been wrong, call this number and we don't get paid unless you get paid. You know, it's everywhere, that false accusation and litigation. Jesus raises the issue here. What's more important? That something, material possession has been taken from you? Is that really what's wrong here? We know it happens. We shouldn't necessarily just ignore it. But Jesus begins, as he moves into the final example, he begins to talk more and more about, is this really your battle to fight? The last one has the idea, as he says, go one mile. In fact, go two miles. Anybody remember who Simon the Cyrene is? Anybody remember who he is? He had a very, very uh, significant role in the history of Christianity. Anybody know who he was? Yeah. He was the guy. Jesus had been beaten near death. And he's started to carry his cross to Golgotha. And Jesus collapsed. And so Roman military soldiers, as they did in that time, they had the right because Roman rule had, uh, reigned. And so anytime a Roman soldier wanted to pull a citizen in to, to do any sort of activity, any sort of labor or work, all they had to do was grab them and pull them in and make them do it. Simon the Cyrene was the guy who picked up Jesus' cross after he collapsed. They carried Jesus, drag, drug Jesus, and Simon carried his cross that he was going to be crucified on. 
It's this idea of being pressed into service or forced to serve. Maybe a modern day example would be what we may see with some companies where employers take advantage of employees in ways to where they are, they are not treated well and they're squeezed everything that they can from them without being compensated for it. The idea here is being taken advantage of. So you have insults, you have accusations, you have being taken advantage of. Every one of us have experienced those things, right? Every one of us. But Jesus really gets to the heart of it. It's not about this example or that example, so much it is the key point. How do you respond? How do you respond? Because many people live their lives in this world and and I think it's something we have to check our own hearts in is, is that the response to this is that we avoid any person hurting us at all cost. We, we do everything we can to be around people that will not hurt us. Well, anybody have a testimony on that one? Who are the people that hurt us the most? It's the people closest to us, right? They know the most about you. They don't necessarily intend to do it, but... If, the point is, is if, if you're seeking to live your life in and, and, and happiness by avoiding any kind of pain or any kind of hurt, you can't do it. Not in this sin-filled world. And so the question is not how do I avoid these things. The question is how do I reflect Jesus Christ? How do I live as a Christian? That's why I think this, this topic is so incredibly practical. I know so many of you ask yourself on a regular basis, what can I do to serve God well? Well, this may seem like a very, um, not very uh, glamorous example because it's hard. It's hard to not pay back. Paybacks. Paybacks are, are what we tend to thrive on a culture, but as a culture. But look at Proverbs twenty twenty two. Do not say, "I'll pay you back for this wrong." Wait for the Lord, and He will avenge you. There's there's a myth. It's a lie. It's not just a myth. There's a lie that says if you pay somebody back for what they did to you in your personal relationships, guess what? You will be satisfied. It doesn't happen. And you know why it didn't happen? Because when we pay back, we pay back with a heart that's not focused on Jesus Christ. And when our heart isn't focused on Jesus Christ, there is no satisfaction, there is no joy, there is no peace, there is no assurance. Amen? None. And so somehow, someway, we believe if I just get an opportunity to get them, to shove them back into that rail like they cut me off early on in the race, I don't care if I win the race because I'm going to have showed them that I can't be walked on. Folks, that's pride. It's pride. And I, I battle that. I know you battle that. But that's a point where we have to think about one, and that's not us. That's not the other person. We have to think about who Jesus is. Jesus endured suffering beyond any explanation, but he took it, didn't he? And if he wouldn't have, where would we be? God help us. You see, the danger is that sometimes we're so offended that we react with schemes of getting back at people and it consumes us. And then we begin to live lives of bitterness. 
Christians, we cannot be angry people. We can't be. It destroys our testimony, no matter how justified we think we are. We can't be angry. There are phrases that I think are important for us to check our motives on. A phrase like settle the score. There's this idea, and parents and grandparents, I want to talk to you about this for just a moment. It's because, and and I have kids in sports. I love sports, and I was talking about this in first service. You know, we have a sports team here, the, the ECOB Knights, play basketball in this very room. And what I love when I see a coach, like the coaches we have, and other coaches also out in public schools, when they are focused on Christ, what I see is that winning is not the most important thing. That's what I love about that. We have to be very careful that we don't build into our children and our grandchildren. This idea is that if they lose, they also have no value. And you see it. I know you do. I see it too. Parents screaming at their kids from the sidelines because that little kid took the ball away from your five-year-old and, and, and I can tell you, I've, you've all heard it. Go get them. It's not play your heart out. No, go get them. And worse, we have to be very careful. We have to model as Christ followers that value is inherent in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we lose, sometimes we do win. I've told my kids, when you walk off those fields, when you walk out of Uh, the the court, off the court, or the arena, wherever you're playing your sport, what what matters most to your daddy is that you can walk off with integrity. I don't care if you won. Now, I like cheering them on, and I love when they win. But folks, we can't let their value and their identity be based on this idea of pushing others down in a way just to get a win, because we see what it does. In the end, there's no win. For anybody. So look at Matthew 5.42. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. As if Jesus hadn't said enough already, he, he kind of wallops with this last phrase. Here's how I think we need to pay back. Here's what I believe Jesus is getting at. We pay back for what people need the most. And that's paying back by imitating Jesus Christ. Jesus, in his death on the cross, modeled two very key things. And the first one is that he paid with generosity. So this is why Jesus says, don't just go the one mile, go the two. Well, that's not fair. That's not right. I don't have time to go two miles. I don't even have time to go one. Why why do I have to do that for them? It's all about our testimony. It's all about our generosity and our heart, right? When people served on Impact Eaton Sunday with generosity, which there was much, you should have seen the joy. It wasn't just a smile on the face. It was an interaction between people that before that day had never even met. And they were serving together in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, personal vengeance or revenge, revenge, excuse me, it inhibits. In fact, it just completely washes out any generosity. 
Because to be generous is to think about the other, right? And to think about the one who's given us everything and that we are equipped and empowered to give others whatever we have, no matter how small we think it is. But when we're focused on getting back, paying back somebody else, what happens is we forget about the one who's given us everything. One commentator says, it may only be a kind word or good advice, but he gives what he can in the circumstances in which he finds himself. Can you say that? I hope you can. That you've given everything you could. Because we all know money sometimes the last thing people need. They, don't, they may think that's going to solve all their problems, but we know that is not the truth. What they need is they need to see Jesus Christ lived out in us. Because when we do that, we are leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit. This is hard stuff. When you're fuming and your emotions are flying, oh, I think I'll be generous. I know that's not what we think. But that's when we think in the flesh. We need to think with the mind of Christ. But the other way that Jesus modeled is he modeled servanthood. He not only paid back with generosity, he paid back with servanthood. Look at this passage from Romans 12, 17. I think it sums up both of these ideas. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, just so you know, re- putting coals on, on somebody's head is not a literal thing there. Okay, I'll just let God put coals on their head. That'll take care of them. No. Nice try. Really is the whole idea here that because they perhaps have never experienced generosity or servanthood or love is that when you extend that to them, it's something that's so different and may even sting a bit, but it's good. Our role is to serve generously in every place when people hurt us. There have been many a times I've talked with people, and I know the other pastors could say this as well, and there's no logical explanation for why the person that we're speaking with has been wronged. And, and it's just sad. It's heartbreaking. And that's where we have to remind each other, though, it's, that is the Lord's battle to fight. Are you trying to fight your battles? Are you trusting God with them? See, for me, that is so key because this is what it means to walk with Jesus daily. This this is where being in worship together and learning how to live a life that tomorrow morning when you are insulted or accused falsely of something or taken advantage of in a personal situation is that you are thinking, how do I reflect Jesus Christ right now? And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's going to be pretty challenging, (laughs) 
But this is where we live it out, folks. This is where our faith becomes our action. And so when we think about an uncommon response, think about that walk that Jesus took. Think about that expense that he paid. But look at what it did to build the kingdom of God. Now, you're not going to be crucified on any cross for humanity. (laughs) But you are going to be insulted and offended and persecuted personally. What do you want God to do with that? Take it away? Or use that so that someone else might know the freedom and the love and the power of God through Jesus Christ in their life. There are times in my life where all I know to say when I'm hurting is Jesus. That's all I know to say. Because nothing else makes sense. Nothing else soothes my soul. Nothing else calms my spirit. Nothing else brings things into perspective except for me to say Jesus. Now, as we think about uncommon response, I'm going to close with this passage of Scripture from 1 Peter. And there's some promises here I want you to, to take with you. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He hasn't forgotten you. No matter how bad it is, no matter how many people insult you and offend you, and, and, and you just never seem to get things settled, the eyes of the Lord are on you. His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Think back to Pastor Josh's message last week on holiness. Remember he talked about suffering being a good thing? Ouch. Yeah. There's a blessing in that. God will use that. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You see, revenge puts us up here and actually puts the person we're seeking to get revenge up here. That's our focus. What living generously as servants in face of of, of insults and accusations and, and being taken advantage of, what we do is we let those things fall and we bring Jesus up and we revere him as Lord. I hope you know that. If you don't know what that looks like, how that's lived out in the life, then I, then I beg of you, talk to somebody who's confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're not going to give you a perfect answer, but they're going to give you some real life examples. And those of you that have done that, be ready. That's what it talks about. Be ready to share how you have worked through not taking revenge on somebody. Not perfectly. And let's be a people who are ready to testify. Because church, that's the testimony people are looking for today. They are looking for a testimony of people who are living real lives with real struggles and want to see how does Jesus make sense in the midst of this. He's the only thing that does, right? Let's pray. Father, as we, as we just reflect back on who you are and 
what you've done through your son Jesus and on this day of Pentecost, knowing the, the counsel and the guide and the, the, the help that the Holy Spirit brings us as believers. Father, I pray that revenge would not be a part of our vocabulary, would not be a part of our behavior, no matter how much we want to do it. And even now, God, I pray that you help us see where maybe we need to step back and repent and make some amends with people. Maybe people we've tried to revenge for years, but we've never been successful, is to finally let that go and revere you as Lord Jesus. So God, as we walk from this place today, as we close and worship through this song, I pray, Lord, that we would not have bitterness of heart, but that our focus would be on generosity and servanthood. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.